Open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Now, there's just a little bit of history in this. I want to make sure you know because um, it kind of helps you to understand the, the reason why Paul wrote what he wrote, um, where he was at the time. Um, but he was, in many of his letters, he was in prison. Now, it's, it's been kind of told to us that, that, at least in my searching, that he probably was at a house arrest in Rome when he wrote this. Um, and, the, and some people think that, that, oh, this isn't as bad a prison as when he was with Silas in Philippi. But yet, how would you like to be chained to a soldier 24 hours of the day? I mean, you think about that. To me, that's prison. Even though he was under house arrest, even though Timothy was able to be with him, he was, he was able to have his needs met. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad, bad prison. Like, like I said, when he sat with Silas there in that, ugh, that inner sink sanctuary of that prison ugh, with the sewer f flowing through the middle. You know, it, 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 that was so gross. But here, here, still, he's still, he's still hooked to a soldier 24 hours of the day. And, and so he is going to wake up every morning knowing that he doesn't have that freedom. That, you know what, it wasn't a nightmare. He can't leave. So he still, he still loves writing to, to these churches. Now, he's never been to this church. This is a, um, a church that Colossa, that was probably about 100 miles from Ephesus. And what's interesting, though, it was a, a kind of a large city, a lot of industry and a lot of things would go by this city. And it was big, you know, as far as um, business. And it was a big city at one time. But then something happened, and it's called Laodicea. And when that, when that, when that city when that city took over, it kind of moved this city into a small little town. And size has really nothing to do with it. But there was this little church in this small little town that was pastored by somebody that Paul really really respected and appreciated and trusted and and his his name was a oh dear i always i always miss apaphras that's unless you can come up with a better pronunciation that's it's apaphras and he's the pastor of the church well apparently there were some there were some religious people. Remember, we've been through this a hundred times. Can you be religious and still be religiously wrong? Yeah. Can you be religious and sit in church and, and, and not know Jesus? Well, you know, Paul knows. He, he's been there. He's been one. So he knows. And he knows that, there, that there's, we have to, that's why he warned us so many times. Be careful. Because they, you know, we would say this over and over. The devil doesn't come with his red suit and the pitchfork and the horns. He comes so subtly. And sometimes through people you least expect. And so... We have a group of people who are very charismatic, very convincing, and apparently you, you, when you are not, um, if you disconnect, you know, you can get spiritually cocky. We've talked about that. And maybe this is what happened to this little church. They had a good pastor. Maybe they started just kind of coasting. Maybe they thought that, oh, you know, I'm saved. I know the gospel now. And if you don't, this is why, this is a perfect example. If you do not stay connected to God's spirit, if you ever think that you shouldn't cling, if you ever think that you can go without your Bible study, if you ever think that you know enough, 
I, I pity you. Because I'll tell you, it's that same little phrase, one day away from the Lord, he knows, two days, you know, three days, everyone knows. I mean, you need this connection so badly. And this little church, apparently they got a little maybe spiritually cocky and they disconnected and thought that they knew enough or whatever. And here comes this group of people. And the way Paul talks, he calls them naive. And I, when I saw that word, I thought, oh, Lord, I pray we never get naive that we just kind of coast and we think we're good enough and we think we know enough in that. And he said, boy, that's when it comes in, when people come in. And you know what they started to say? And we should, when, we should see right away that something's a mess. If we start hearing a message that we get confused or we start to doubt or question, Remember, we've been through this Proverbs and Romans, and we said God is not complicated. He doesn't give us 15 choices. He gives us two. Do you want to listen to his way, or are you going to go your way? But if you are not, if you are not solely connected, if you are not clinging, you are going to hear what your itching ears want to hear. And again, Paul warned Timothy, he said, oh, be careful that you just stick to this book because people are so going to sit in church and they're going to want their preacher to, to say things. Like, did, did I, for some of you, I don't think I've ever told this story to all of you, but I sang in a church one time and uh, it was during Lent, the first Sunday of Lent. And, and this church, it was in Grand Haven, and this church is no more. I'll tell you, that's what happens. You don't stick to God's word. That church, just like in this, in Revelation, the lampstand will go down. But this church, he stood in front of a thousand people that morning and he said, oh, I just want you to know, folks, that you are not going to hear about the gory blood this year during Lent. And those people, oh, they thought, oh, that's good. Because, you know, whenever you talk about that blood, that's so convicting, that's so yuck. I mean, oh, no. He said, we're just going to talk about the love of Jesus all through Lent. This is all about the love of Jesus. You know, it was something because um, I could not believe my ears. And I have to tell you, if you would have seen my husband, he grabbed my knee, like, don't even think about it in this huge church. Don't stand up and make a scene because I would have wanted to, except let me tell you, I had one more song to sing. And I, I like I said, I couldn't believe it, but he kept talking, but I should have gotten my clue with this knucklehead. I should have got a clue because he never opened his Bible. And at first thought, well, maybe he just knows it and he can quote it. But he never did. And then he starts making up stuff like, oh, we're not going to talk about the blood. We're just going to talk about his love. And I'm thinking, what school did you go to? What Bible have you ever read? Love and blood are, this, are in the same sentence. So anyway, he preaches this sermon to the, these thousand people who are just eating it up. And then, and then he introduces me and says, and now Linnell will close the service with her last song. And it is so good that I play by ear. And I knew I was never going to be invited back. And I thought, Too, that's okay. That's okay. And it's the end of the service. So I thought I can get up from the piano and walk right out of here. But I was not going to let those thousand people sit there and believe that garbage and believe that lie. And I, like I prayed tonight, the music is such a tool, especially when you sing a song that is gospel truth. And so I got up there and I sat at the piano and I said, Lord, just help me recall every chord and every word. Because I hadn't sung it in a while, but I knew it had to be sung. And I sang, the blood will never lose its power. That's what I sang. For it reaches to the highest mountain, it flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day will never lose its power. No, I was never invited back to that church. But let me tell you, that church is gone today. 
Sad, sad, sad. But my point is, somebody can come in, and if, they, if you are not connected to God's word, see, if you are, like, like uh, that morning, I mean, every red Holy Spirit flag went nuts in me. I mean, there was no question that he was wrong. My salvation is based on the blood. The whole Old Testament is talking about the blood sacrifice that was necessary. So, Linda. Well, the question is that you've heard the Pope say that there is no hell. Well, you know, I would just love to say, um, let's see, let's open these two covers. And there is more um, explanation and more proof that, there's, that heaven's a real place and hell is a real place. And, but, you know, I have to say, Linda, I... Many, there's many questions nowadays because everybody's trying to make up their own rules. That's why this is so relevant to today. Because see, what, what was happening here was these people were coming in and because the people were, were getting a little spiritually lazy, they were thinking, oh, I'm fine, you know. I don't have to read my Bible every day because, you know, I'm good. You know, we've accepted the gospel. Thank you, Pepherus. Done a good job. You know, I'm sure but then all of a sudden these people come in and they say that Jesus, get this, Jesus was not deity. Oh, yeah, he was a good man, and yes, he did a lot of great things, but he was not deity. He was not God. Well, you know, probably they're eloquent speaking and all that. They probably, you know, the people were probably sitting there with those fancy people, and they probably thought, hmm. Well, huh, I didn't hear that before, but uh, maybe that could be. What does that sound like to you? Doubt, doesn't it? Um, oh, um, I'm a little confused about that. Hmm. Well, but if he says it, I mean, look, at, look how good they're at, apparently. Oh, I don't care how good they are. If they're not telling truth, if, if there's any little inkling in you that says, ooh, I don't know about that. You know, I, I hope, I mean, even in Bible study, I, you know how hard I study, and you know that I want nothing but truth for you. But, you know, sometimes my mouth can get going. And if ever you hear something that's, that slips out of my mouth that just is contrary, I expect you to look between these two covers and see what God says, and then by all means tell me. You know, because we are men and we can make mistakes. And, but here, this was deliberate. These people were coming in, causing confusion, causing, causing doubt. And people were buying into it because they didn't have the red flags. Because, you know what? They were just, oh, that's, that's something new. Oh, I guess I'll learn that now. Now, if it goes against the biblical teaching, remember we talked about the non-disputable I would say that's a major non-disputable. That we have a redeemer. We have a father, we have a son, and we have a Holy Spirit, all three in one. We know that. That is a non-disputable. And so if anybody would ever come, you know these non-disputables, and you just say I can't do that. But this church, and that's why Epaphras, he went to see Paul. And he said to Paul, oh, man, I've got a problem. I've got a big problem here. These people are buying into this. And so Paul sat down and wrote this letter, four little chapters. But I love the way he started it. Even in this first chapter, before he really started hitting them with the, the truth of the problem, he kind of has them, well, let's start. Look at he says, Paul, an apostle. Now, I would dare say these people have heard about him. <laughs> Paul was never, I mean, I, I, I bet 
a few of Epaphras sermons were about Paul and about that road to Damascus and and Paul's testimony. So I, I would dare say that, you know, the reason why Epaphras came to Paul was because the people respect him. They know him. They trust him. They know that he's the one that left Jerusalem. And he took the gospel into the world. And he said, so Paul says, it, it's me, Paul, and I am an apostle. I was, I, I've been sent out. I, and then he says, I've been sent out. Um, but the reason I've been sent out is to tell a story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And he's, he's going to get into that. But he says, I just want to make sure you know this letter is from me, Paul. And I know you trust me. And yes, I, I was sent out, and I'm still being sent out, even through letters, hooked to a soldier right now. But I can still get this story out. I can still teach. I can still reaffirm. So he says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And that's why I know that they have heard this story. Because when he says that, they're saying, oh, yeah, we know. We've heard that. Oh, we've heard that story. Jesus got a hold of him, knocked him to the ground. So I'm sure they've heard all the details. So he's saying that he was an apostle of Jesus by the will of God and Timothy. He says, I want you to know that Timothy's right here too, our brother. And then he says, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So he is, he's already showing them that, hey, you know who you are? You are believers in Jesus. And because you are believers in Jesus, you are holy and you are faithful in Christ. I mean, don't you just love the way he, he starts that? He didn't come in pounding. He came in saying, I want you to know it's me. And I want you to know that I just think, I, I know from Epaphras that, that you that you are believers. And so he says, grace and peace to you. In other words, I know you know these words. These are my favorite words because to me, these are Jesus' words. Because of his grace, because of his undeserved favor, I am saved in my soul as well, and that gives me peace. So, I mean, what a beautiful Intro. What a nice greeting at the beginning of this letter. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. And then he goes into these words. He said, we always thank God. So whether, you know, whether it's Timothy, wouldn't you just love, love to be a part of Paul's prayer meetings? Because so many of his letters, he said, we pray for you every day. Wouldn't you just love to be on Paul's prayer list? And, and so that had to be a beautiful thought, too, for them when they're hearing this letter read. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard. Now, I don't want you to miss this. We have heard. Now, remember, he hasn't been there. Oh, he would love to be there, but he hasn't been there. He'd love to meet every one of those people. But he says, we have heard of your faith. Now, that word faith tonight, that word faith got me so going this week that I decided that this summer study that we're going to have is going to be about this word because it's that important. And so the four Monday nights that we're going to meet, Monday, the third Monday of May, the third Monday of June, the third Monday of July, and the third Monday of August. We are going to study for four weeks Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11 is 
full of examples of what it looks like to live by faith. So through Noah and Abraham and the patriarchs and Joseph and and then the writer of Hebrews says, oh, I have so many names, I couldn't even, I couldn't even begin to say them all. I can't even, but there are a lot of names in there. And so we're going to take a lot of these names and we're going to see what it looks like because apparently faith can be heard about and faith can be seen. I believe faith is an action word. That's why James says, I don't care how much faith you have, you got to have some good works or faith without works is really what? No faith at all. It's dead. Faith has to be in combination with, with doing. And the doing comes because your heart's been changed. So because you trust and you take him at his word and you're letting his spirit change you, then out of you, all of a sudden, out of you, starts coming all of this different behavior and different countenance and different purpose and different worth. And this is what Paul is saying. We, we, when we pray for you, we are so thankful because we have heard that your faith is real because it's coming out. And look what he says, it's coming out. And we have heard your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. We heard that this gospel has changed you and you are living by faith and it's coming out in love. And we're not just talking about a superficial, conditional kind of love here. You know, this is what I preach about Paul because, you know, in all of his letters, he kind of writes the same because the message doesn't change. And yet, it's a, a, you know, he writes a little different for the different people he's writing to, but he still uses these words. He uses the word faith, he uses the word love, and he's going to use the word hope. And don't you remember in 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. You know why it's the greatest? Because it's the present. It's the evidence of your faith. Your love is set, and it talks about your hope of the future. So, you know, I looked at those three words, and I thought, you know, faith, what is my faith? I believe of the past of what Jesus did for me. I believe when this Bible was put together, did I see it? No. Did I see him get crucified on Good Friday? No. Did I see the empty tomb? No. Did I, did I see him ascended into heaven? No. But by faith, I believe that this Bible is true. What happened at Calvary is true. So by faith, I took all that happened in the past. And I take this faith and I make it real belief in my heart. And it comes out in Christ-like love. And that's what I can, this is what I can, can use now to me. Faith is, is kind of like a past thing. My faith is what happened in the past. But love, love is what I'm doing now as proof of what happened to me because I live by faith. Did that come out right? Okay. And then the hope. See, hope is such a great word because hope, remember we've talked about, at length about that word. It's not the wishful thinking hope. It's the for sure hope. It's the blessed assurance hope. And what is your hope in? Your future. So here we have three words that are all connected together because of what Jesus did for us in the past. Because I believe all that happened that I can now live because of his Holy Spirit. I can live this love-filled life of Jesus it affects every part of me. Remember, that's the new house that we built. And we live in the hope. Remember, Paul said, a hope that will never disappoint us. We live in that now because we know it's coming. So when he says, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, of the love that you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. 
and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. So all three of those words are tied so beautifully together because of the truth of the gospel that has come to you. So Paul is saying, you know this. You know this gospel story. And you trust it to be yours. And now we've heard that it's coming out of you. And you have the hope because you believe that this hope is stored up for you in heaven. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit. That's what Paul says. Look at, and what kind of fruit is he talking about here? All over the world because of the gospel. Now what's coming out of you because of the gospel is what? The fruit of his spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, gentleness, the self-control. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit. And fruit are, it's bearing fruit. And pe- more and more people are coming to, to know Jesus because you're, you're sending it out by the, by the fruit of God's spirit coming out of you, the fruit that's coming out of you. And then it's like it goes full circle. The people, then the fruit that you bear are the new souls that want what you have. When you live out Jesus, that's what Peter said. Be ready with an answer because people are going to want what you have. And because you are willing to tell the story, did you just love when Fanny wrote that? When when she talked about this blessed assurance, this blind old lady who could have just been so mad at that doctor because she was was put bad things on her eyes and he did This quack doctor ruined her eyes, but she had a grandma that kept feeding her the scripture. So by the time she was old enough to know that she could blame somebody, she already knew the love of Jesus and the purpose that that his will has in our lives and that his will for us is perfect. You know, I, I, Doug, I just can't, and I didn't know you were coming, so I this has just got to be the Holy Spirit because... You know, I, I, I look at that how many years ago, the accident on the corner of 31 and 32nd, and, you know, from that day on, you didn't have use of your legs. And I remember coming to cut your hair in Muskegon when you were, when you were convalescing there. And how many years ago? How many years ago was that? 40. 40-some, yeah. yeah, 40-some years ago. And... So 42 years ago, and, you know, so when you think about that, you, what, what purpose would God have for a young man at that late teens to have his legs taken away? This hunter who loves farming, I mean, this didn't make any sense. I mean, he's not going to be an office guy. This, he's just not an office guy. I mean, you're taking, you're taking a guy like that and, and in these years, instead of being defeated and discouraged and thrown in the towel of despair, just like a Fanny Crosby, he believed that God had a purpose and his will was perfect. And I'm telling you, this man has reached more for the gospel of Christ without two legs. And I think he ever would with two working legs. But you have to believe it. Sometimes the Lord does things in our life, and you can do one of two things. It's not complicated. You can either trust him and take him at his word, or you can feel sorry for yourself and waste a life. And I'm thinking, I I listened to Doug, and I listened to Fanny Crosby, and I listened to when she's telling that story, and then she finally says, hey, it's just got to come out. This is my story. This is my song. I'm praising my Savior. So can you see that this gospel, it bears fruit if we are willing to be used in whatever capacity that he puts us. 
because he knows how to work us. He knows where we're going to be the most productive for his kingdom. And who are we really here for? And that's the big question, isn't it? Are we here for him? Are we here for our own selfish self? You know, but Paul is being so encouraging here. He's saying to these people, do you realize that when you live this out, you bear fruit? You'll see lives changed. You will see people respond and say, yes, because of your story. He says, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood it. Now, what do you think is the key there? That yes, you heard it. Yes, you heard it. And that this is where so many people are sitting in churches. And, and this, is, this is the real stumbling block here because they're hearing it. Yep, their ears are hearing it. But what did Paul say? That this church, you heard it and you understood it. That, that was in Proverbs too. Also, remember, so often Solomon would remind us. Paul reminded us, you have to listen, you have to learn, but you have to apply it. You have got to be obedient. You got to do it. What does James say? Don't just be hearers of this word. You got to be doing it. And you're going to do it only if you understand it. So here, Paul said it. You heard it. And you understood God's grace in all of its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. So I don't think Paul was trying to just blow a bunch of, you know, um, flattery. Remember, we talked the difference between real compliment and flattery. Paul's not, he's not saying these words to flatter them if they aren't true. Paul would never do that. So he's, he's telling them the truth, and he's saying to them, you are a good church. You're a believing church. But look what he's really warning. Look what he's warning. Can you ever be just comfortable thinking that once you have your ticket to heaven, that that's all you have to do? Paul is saying, look at if you, this is not, this isn't just um, that you get a ticket to heaven. This is a change. This is a totally change of your lifestyle because it's, totally changed you. It's no longer you that's living. It's Christ that's living in you. So he's saying here, you heard the truth, you responded, you understood it, but you got lazy. He didn't say that. He, he's gonna in a little bit. He pretty much, but he's saying to you, come on, you're good people. You're good Christians. But what a warning to us. In other words, if it can happen, to them, it can happen to us. I mean, it even happened to Peter when Paul had to go go and say, "Oh, Peter, need Peter, and I need to chat." Peter was starting to fall back into that that yes, you need Jesus, but you know what? You better you got to do a couple of these other things. Boy, I bet Paul he headed over there and he couldn't wait to sit that man down, saying, "What is the matter with you?" So it's just a, a good reminder that if it can happen, and he's saying, you're good people, you're good Christians, but you've gotten spiritually lazy, you've disconnected, you've gotten a little complacent. You're not clinging to that old rugged cross anymore. You don't keep remembering from what you once were. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what is he saying? He's saying to them in a very nice way, we are praying, we have not stopped praying for you, that you will stay filled with knowledge and of understanding of spiritual wisdom 
I'm so glad that we went through Proverbs. I'm so glad that we've heard that, that book of what spiritual wisdom is and how we're just going to have to keep going over and over and over. That is such instruction for us. And we need to stay full of that instruction. We need to stay filled because if you are not filled with him and his wisdom, oh, whose wisdom are you going to be full of? Your own self. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. See, this is when you live a life worthy of the Lord. Should that matter to us? Should you and I really be concerned that we're, our lives are living worthy to him? Remember, I prayed tonight, Lord, you are so worthy of everything we sang tonight. Everything that we, that we say and do, you are so worthy of it. Because of what you've done, our lives, we should, we should want our lives worthy of what he's, what he's done for us. We should live a life worthy of the Lord that we may want to please him. And the writer of Hebrews says that it's only faith. It's only real faith that pleases him. When we live by faith, we, we, we take what, what's between these two covers. We take a look at the cross. We know that we were all disobedient. We all have a choice in whether we accept or reject what Jesus has done. He says, if you have said yes to him, that is what pleases him, that you live a life now of faith that will come out in Christ-like love. And you live in the hope of your future. What a powerful way to live with these three words. So and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Remember in Proverbs, we, we learned that um, a wise person is one who keeps learning. So in here, here, Paul writes this in this letter. He's encouraging these people. He's saying, oh, no, never get to the point that you've had enough Bible study. Never get to the point that, that you know everything there is to know because you need to keep growing in the knowledge of God so that you can keep bearing fruit so that you're, that you're filled with God's spirit so that that's what's coming out of you. Being strengthened with all power. Oh, didn't you like that one? I'll tell you, I don't want to be a weakling. I don't want to be a wuss. As a Christian, I want to be a strong one. Not only because I know his word, but because he gives me the power that I need from day to day. That I don't shirk back. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. And because I'm not ashamed, he will fill you and I with this power this strength that we don't go down when life goes down. It's so easy to watch our spiritual life follow the format of our own lives. We have no control of the ups and downs of life. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not great at all. And I think a weak Christian kind of follows that upward swing and downward swing. But a strong Christian is steady through the good and the bad because they, their faith trusts him. That you know he's up to something in everything that he's doing. And he is in charge of my life. And his will is perfect. And the quicker I start believing that and keep my, my spiritual life at that steady level, he strengthens us with all power according to his glorious might. That power comes from him. So that you may have great endurance and patience. Oh, I, I don't know what your version says. I'm going by the NIV. But some of these words, that word endurance. See, that goes along with power and strength, if you ask me. That's what being a strong Christian is, endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. He's qualified you. 
oh, I'm going to have to remind you of last week's lesson. So go back in Romans chapters 15. Go back to Romans 15, because I don't know if you all believed me or not last week, even though I read it right from God's Word. But I think you went back home saying, ah, no, that's not quite me. But it is, so I'm going to repeat it. Because you just heard it again. I mean, he wrote it in Romans, and now he wrote it to the church in Colossae. Look what he says. When you know the gospel, when you have a story, when you know what the cross did for you, when you know about the change that he's making and that his love is coming out of you and you see such extraordinary difference, and then you live in that hope of your future, no matter what happens in this world, he says, look at this. I'm going to repeat. Romans 15, starting with verse 14. I myself, Paul says, now that you've studied Romans and you have been through every word of this letter and you know the gospel, you know that, yes, there's no one righteous, but you also know what the cross did. And if you said yes to him and you've learned that you are in a battle with self, Mammy Paul taught it right from chapter 1 all the way through. He says, okay, people, I'm writing this at the end of this letter. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. And you are complete in knowledge. It doesn't say you have to make sure you graduate three years of seminary and all that. It doesn't say that. He said, you have a story. You know what Jesus has done and what he can do. I am convinced that you're full of goodness because you're full of the spirit. And the spirit produces goodness in you. And because you're full of the spirit, you are ready. You are complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Surprise, surprise, there's not one of you that could say, yeah, but that doesn't mean me. Yeah, but um, I don't know as much as you. Or, um, yeah, but um, I'm, I'm not type A personality. Uh, there's not one yeah, but that's going to fit there. He's saying, if you've been through Romans, and you know the gospel story, and you've been transformed by the blood of Jesus, then you are competent, and you're ready to instruct <laughs> You're ready to tell your story. When someone asks. And that's what he says here. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. You are now you have now been qualified to be able to tell this story to someone else. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Boy, what a way to say, uh, <laughs> let me tell you what you look like before. Let me tell you what, what you look like without the light of Jesus in you. You have been rescued. Nothing you did. No, no, no. You just had a savior that came and rescued you. He rescued you out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oh, I just want to insert there, hallelujah. Because that is, what a way for Paul just to say in the first 14 verses, what he, he pretty... He just pretty much put it all together for them so that they could remember from where they came from, what they've been redeemed from, that their sins have been forgiven. Can you imagine them sitting there? Because they're, they're good people that have heard the gospel and know the gospel. Don't you think that right about now they're saying, oh, I bet they're starting to hang their head thinking, oh. Why did I get confused? Why did I let them come in here and sway me? Only Jesus could have done that. He has to be God. There's no human that could ever, ever sacrifice his life and his blood be sufficient. God would have never approved that sacrifice. See, the way he said it, you couldn't. Oh, I can just see those people listening. Okay, now he starts. 
In case there is any question, let me clear the way. He. <laughs> any doubt who he is? Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And we know, we know he was there. If you've ever studied Genesis and you've, you've seen the plural word and we, and we, when, when God is talking and we did this and we did that, well, who do you think he's talking about? God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all there. And I happen to know another verse of proof for you. John wrote in John 1, 1, in the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yeah. For by him the things were created, things in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Oh, I just wrote John 1 right through there because you know what? I keep going through. And the word became flesh. That word, Jesus, the supreme second person of the Godhead. Don't, no question at all. That word became flesh and dwelt among us. That was our Christmas. And then started the 33 years to the cross for us. And he is the head of the body, the church. Oh, yeah, I have to say this. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. That sometimes causes a little problem because it said he is the firstborn from among the dead. And we know that in the Old Testament, there were people that died that, that were raised. We also know that Lazarus was raised from the dead. And this was before, you know, so why, why is Jesus the firstborn of the dead? And then we know that when Jesus died, people came out of the graves. So how can Jesus be the firstborn of the dead? Do you know that everybody who was raised needed to die again? Jesus was the firstborn. He was the first one that died and rose, never to have to die again, which shows us what? For you and me, we follow his We follow his. Um, his, his uh, example. So when we die, we will be raised and never to die again. We're going to follow exactly what Jesus did. So that's why he's the firstborn of the dead. Because he was the first one that died and rose never to die again. So that in everything he might have the supremacy What's the root word of supremacy? Supreme. Overhaul. And look at this. For God the Father was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. Just write this down. Um, you don't have to turn to it, but just in your Bible, somewhere around there, write this. Because when Jesus was going back to heaven after he was raised from the dead, he's standing there, and he's saying to his disciples there, he says this, and Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Matthew 28, verse 18. So when Paul writes this, he is saying that, and through him, well, and God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood and shed on the cross. God is pleased to let Jesus have all that authority. 
Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. See, now he's, he's going back and he's saying, oh, you've got to go back to this fact, this reality every once in a while. Because then if you do, you will never take your salvation and your redemption and your forgiveness and your new life. You'll want to stay close to him. You'll want to keep studying. You will want to know him better. Remember that once you were just totally alienated from God. Oh, you might have been a nice person, never did much, did anything as far as the world's concerned, wrong, maybe saying church, all, you know, until you came to Jesus as your personal Savior. Guess what? You were alienated from God. Only Jesus could buy you back. So he says, just remember, you were once alienated from God. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. And even though you think, we've talked about that. Lois, so often we think, well, that's not me. I've never been evil. Yeah, anytime, anytime you disconnect from him and self takes over, that's evil. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So again, he's just reiterating that story. He did it for you. He's the only one that could do it for you. So don't even think it can be anybody else or that he, that he is anything but God. And then look what he says. And I'm hoping, see, because you didn't have questions. But I, I just pray that you're doing your assignment. You're, you're reading it every day because every day you read it, you will see. And I hope that you're looking at those little words and those um, all-inclusive words and those words that, you know, like, like the first word of verse 23. I hope you stopped in your tracks right then because what does this verse start with? If. And whenever you see an if, what does that say to you? You've got what? You've got a choice here. So he's saying, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not move from the hope held out in the gospel. In other words, You've got to read this all in desire. But now he has reconciled you because of his body that was shed on the cross through his death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And if you continue in this faith, if you keep believing this and living it out, you will stay in this position with him. This holy position with him, this powerful position with him, you will continue in that. Now, sometimes this, this is one of those times that, you know, those people that, you know, there's that, that, there's that big spiritual issue, you know, the big spiritual issue, can you lose your salvation? You know, there's people that say, I got proof that you can and then there's others that say, I got biblical proof that you can't. And this is one of those right there that kind of say to me with that, that little two-word if. I, I don't know, and I am never going to answer you yes or no on that issue, except I am going to say this to you. Because God is supreme, and because he is Lord of all, and because he is God, and he is sovereign, he can do what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants and all I have to do is make sure I stay connected to him, that I keep his Holy Spirit working in my life, that I still keep working and establish, making sure that my life is right with him. And guess what? I'll never have to have that be an issue. Are you, are you willing to play Russian roulette with your salvation? Because, well, I don't know if you can or you can. Ah, who would want to anyway? I will never question either way, and I will not get on anybody's bandwagon with that because all I know personally, it isn't even an issue. Well, I don't even have to talk about it if I do what he says. If I work at this, if this means something to me, I don't even have to go there. And if somebody says, well, I don't know me, 
if you want to play Russian roulette with it, you go ahead. It's too precious to me. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Don't you just love what Paul said? You know, he's this, he, he was this big Pharisee, you know. I mean, oh, man, he was, he was way up there on that totem pole of elite, you know. And now, look what, look what he calls himself. He's, he loves calling himself, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus. Because you know why? He's the supreme one. I know my place. And I love being a servant of his. Now I rejoice. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, which is the church. Now, this can go either way. He, he can be talking about the suffering that he went through, <laughs> that he's going through right now. You know what he's saying? Um, I, I, I'm sure he, he could make a list. Oh, I, I was beaten. I was left for dead. Um, I was bitten by this snake. Um, I was shipwrecked. Um, um, I mean, on and on he could go on <laughs> of all what he's been through that he's suffered. I mean, there was, some, there was times when he was sitting there with Silas, you know, you think about being beaten and flogged, and, and there was one time when he asked somebody to please bring him a coat because he was cold. I mean, the suffering that this man went through for the cause of Christ. He, he, he suffered for being a, a messenger of the gospel, not that he was a criminal. And what he's saying here, it, it could be this. You know what I'm telling you people of Classy. I know. I, I left Jerusalem and I went to the uttermost parts and I became the apostle to the Gentiles and I went through all that. And you know what? I do it all again for you. I rejoice in what was suffered for you. But also, it de- I think it depends on how, how different versions say it. Because he's also, I think he's also saying, um, Jesus suffered so much for you. And I rejoice in the fact that he was willing to suffer for me, for you. So either way that you want to take it, he is saying, I'm rejoicing that suffering because you know what? It got you the message of salvation. And what he's trying to say to us, and you've got that job now. Or are you just so cautious that you don't want to suffer? You're so afraid, you know, you don't, want to, you don't want to cause any ruckus. Or, you know, I don't want to hurt in any way, so let's just be a little quiet about it. What, what Paul is saying, you know, when it's real in your heart, if someone ever asks you with a gun pointed to your head, or do you believe in Jesus, do you know that a strong Christian will have no questions saying, oh, yes. Now, isn't that, that's what the suffering was all for, so that you and I could have that power within us, that we could know that it isn't about this body. It's about what's coming, the hope of our future. Because our faith was believing all this was true, and that our love, that our life showed this love. And it might have gotten us killed for it. But Paul is saying, you know what? I rejoice in that. The message, is that worth it? Is that worth it? I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Oh, I like that part, didn't you? Or maybe your version says this. Um, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God um, in half of its um, meaning. Because I didn't really want to go there because that might step on some toes and that might not be where your itching ears want to hear. Maybe, does your ver- version have that? No, of course it doesn't. He said, I have become a servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. In other words, was he afraid at all to say it? Nope. If it means step on down toes, step on toes. 
He said, I'm telling the word of God in all of its fullness because this is what people need to hear. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed in the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery. What's the mystery? Oh, believe me. The mystery is people who don't want to listen and learn and understand and have their lives changed by People look at us and think, boy, that's a mystery of how she could live like that. I sure don't understand how she can have joy in the middle of her storm. Oh, it's a mystery to me how she can have hope when it looks like her world just fell apart. But he's saying, you know what? This, this shouldn't be a mystery to you. This mystery you have seen fulfilled, and now it fills you. This was disclosed to the saints. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. You know, you think about the whole Old Testament. We live on this side of Calvary, on this side of Pentecost, but the whole Old Testament, do you know what all they had was a promise? And they took that promise and they lived by it and they held on to that faith. And, and obviously, we're going to study about that faith. And when they lived out their faith, look what extraordinary things came out of their lives. We're also going to go through and say, when they didn't live by faith, look at the messes they got into too. But that's all that they had. They, they had faith in the promise. But now we live on this side of Calvary, this side of Pentecost. We have the Holy Spirit that is able to indwell us, taking these words on the page and bring them to life. No more mystery. It's right there. Black and white. Clear as a bell. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Oh, I hope that you see that this whole salvation message, now that it's not a mystery to you and you understand it, you get it. That's what he's trying to say to these people. Oh, never take it for granted. I want you to see, I want you to see that this message is the glorious riches, which is in Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, I love the way he wrote that. That's you, that's me. Living in us. And then he says, we proclaim him. We proclaim him. When you see the word proclaim, I just think that that's, I, I wouldn't proclaim bad news. If I proclaim something, I am sure of it, and I think it's the best news ever. If I'm going to proclaim something, I want someone to hear it because it's good. And so when he says, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Again, when you read it every day, did you notice an all-inclusive? Is there any room for any? And everyone, everyone can have this. So that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. That's our job. Every one of us who has this story should be proclaiming it. He says, and as he closes this chapter, he says, to this end I labor. I mean, I were, I'm willing, I, this is why I've been called, this is what I've been called to do, and this is what all of you believers are called to do. But he admits something here. He says, to this end, I labor struggling. He's struggling. With all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I mean, you, you can't help but see when he uses the word struggling, you can see that, yeah, you know, life is hard. But he's struggling with all his energy. 
And uh, I mean, I just, I just think he says, look at how you can have, you can be struggling in your, between your old nature and your new nature or your, your, your old human self and it's tired and he's chained, to a, he's chained to a soldier and he's struggling with these prisons and God's will sometimes, you know. But he's saying, yeah, I labor. And I struggle because sometimes my old self wants to go that way because sometimes I want to feel sorry for myself. <laughs> I love the when he uses the word struggle. You see, Paul was never afraid to admit that, that we're in a battle with self. So he says, to this end, I labor. I'm struggling with, with my old self and with what? All his energy, which so powerfully works in me. So he says, I choose to put self aside and let this power and this energy take over me. I mean, I mean, we've got three more, we've got three more chapters to go that he's going to make his point. But boy, he sure in the first chapter he did a bang up job. And he's saying, Oh, never get so that you start believing things that your itching ears want to hear. You should always want to hear truth. Even if it's convicting and challenging, she want nothing but because Jesus is God. No doubt. He died for you. He rose for you. His, his sacrifice was accepted by the Father. We now have all this because of him. There is no one who is not God could ever do that for you and I. Have a good week.